Hello you lovely lot, welcome back. It is episode two of series three with my beautiful pal, the Wonder Woman that is Mrs. Jodie Jones. It's a very emotive subject. It's it's a very difficult subject because we all know someone who has had cancer or we've had cancer ourselves. And it is a very difficult subject, but I can go to choir on a Monday and they just treat me like me. I see my friends down the lake or down the beach and they're like, hi, Jodie, you all right? How are you doing today? What silly distance are you doing today? And it's just normal, you know, I, and I don't have to um, explain anything. And I think because we're doing an activity where you can't necessarily have a conversation at the same time, you can't sing and talk at the same time, you can't swim and talk at the same time, you just get on with it. I'll let Jodie tell you her story, as quite frankly, she does a much better job than me. But this episode is one of adversity and positivity. Jodie's been dealt quite a rubbish hand recently, and although she's still receiving treatment, she's not letting anything stop her achieving her dreams. So here's the interview with the wonderful Jodie Jones. Hello, Jodie. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. That's okay. Thank you for having me. I have been so keen to interview you for such a long time since I started this Living Podcast series. I've been desperate to interview you. And so I'm really excited. You are one of the women that I find most inspiring and you are also very busy, um, but generally I think you're amazing. So introduce yourself to everybody and tell them about your swimming challenge. Okay, so I'm Jodie. I'm the wife of a army officer veteran. Um, so he retired around four years ago, I think it is now. And obviously we've moved around a lot. I was a teacher until I had my eldest daughter. And my teaching career has been in many counties and overseas as a result of my husband's job. So didn't really have a time when I could do stuff and get settled into you know things I wanted to do so when we moved to Lulworth we were literally which is down in the Dorset coast it's absolutely beautiful near um it's kind of in between Weymouth and Poole it's absolutely stunning if you've never been go it's beautiful so I'd have my oldest daughter she was about six months old and we were going for a walk down by the beach and I decided that I just wanted to go for a swim my husband looked at me and he said, uh, why? It's March. It's cold. And I said, well, I used to swim. That's you going for a swim. So we went home. I got my wetsuit on and I went for a swim. Nearly drowned. Wasn't ideal. It was dreadful. It was, I was terrible. But I just fell in love with open water swimming, um, having hated the pool because I was a club swimmer when I was little. And I just absolutely hated being in a swimming pool. It's just so confining. Um, I just fell in love with being in the outdoors, which I'd always loved anyway, but actually in the water rather than on top of it in a kayak or whatever. So, and it's gone from there, really. And since I have known you, you've always been an outdoor swimmer and you go off on weekends and evenings and you swim for like, you know, two or three hours. But this summer, you have told me that you are taking on your biggest challenge yet. And I think you're absolutely crazy, but fair play to you. Um, and you are going to swim a channel for Blessma. Is this right? It is. So I have been training for about four years specifically for this challenge. To me, it's probably more, it, it goes a bit deeper than just being a challenge. It's not like where you enter an event and you finish it and you, you train for a bit, you finish it, you get a medal. Marathon swimming is specifically channel swimming is very much, I guess, a calling. 
that sounds so cheesy, but it, I can't think of any other way to describe it. Somebody said that channel swimming from the outside looking in, you just can't understand it. But from the inside looking out, you can't explain it. it there's something very unique and special about swimming very, very, very long distances in rather cold water with jellyfish through a shipping lane. It's something I've wanted to do. We used to joke about it when we were kids in the swimming club. And uh, it was always like, oh, yeah, I'll do this one day. It'll be, you know, it'll be easy. It's not easy. And then I decided to do a channel relay back in 2016. So we organized it from about 2014 onwards. And I found a channel training group in Durley, which is in Bournemouth. It's, it's off the beach, um, just by Bournemouth Pier. And it's set up for channel swimmers. So it's fully supported from the beach. There's a beach crew. They look after your stuff. They provide feeds and support and motivation, everything. Um, and we all take it in turns to be beach crew and then we all swim as well. So I went down there to do my channel relay qualifying swim, which is a two-hour swim nonstop in water that has to be under 16 degrees. So I thought, oh, okay. I, I just had another baby three months before this. So I was like, oh, this is quite a big challenge. No wetsuit. It'll be fine. And before I got in the water, the group's organiser, who's called Marcus, he came up to me and he said, little bird told me that you are thinking of doing something a little bit bigger than a relay. And I said, well, yeah, thinking about it. But, you know, as you can see, just had a baby, probably not a good time to pursue this. And he said, why not? You're about to do a two-hour swim with a two-month-old on the beach. If you can do that what's stopping you from going further? And I was like, well, I think my husband might get a bit annoyed. (laughs) Two-month-old baby and a a then four-year-old. And he was like, well, just have a think, whatever. So I got in the sea, started my two-hour swim, got out after two hours, absolutely loved it. I'd thought about nothing else the whole time I was in there than swimming to France on my own as a solo. So uh, I think that was the Saturday and I booked my channel solo by the Wednesday. So the drive home was interesting because I sat down with my husband in the car and said, right, I need to talk to you. I've kind of got an idea, something I want to do. He's like, oh, I've been waiting for this for about two years, this conversation, because I knew it was coming. I was like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Because I had no idea. And he said, yeah, it's fine. We can sort it out. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. So I, I booked it for August 2018 with the same boat pilot that did my channel relay Um, because there's 12 different pilot boats that can go across the channel. They have like a special license and they're affiliated to one or two governing bodies that are allowed to do it. They've got permission. Um, So yeah, so training ever since. Um, In the meantime, I've swum Windermere, which is England's longest lake. Um, So that's my biggest official event ever. And that was in pretty horrendous weather. I was basically swimming into a headwind the whole way through driving rain, which was really not nice. But at the time, I was a bit disappointed because it took me, I'd wanted to take about six hours and it took seven hours and 30 seconds, which to me is really irritating. That 30 seconds is so annoying. And it took me a little while to think, well, actually, I can swim for seven hours. I can swim for longer than seven hours. I can swim for seven hours and 30 seconds. So the fact that I was slower than I was expecting because of the weather actually meant I was longer in the water and that I was able to do that. So it's quite a big thing in channel swimming. So we we tend not to think about distance training. We think about 
time in the water. So the longer you can swim for in the water, the further along the training is. So yeah, I can swim for seven hours and 30 seconds. I've since gone further, but yeah, that was quite good for me. (laughs) And you don't do it in a wetsuit, do you? No. So English Channel rules say that you can wear a standard swimming costume, one swimming hat, a pair of goggles and a pair of earplugs. You can use grease, so things like Vaseline. Uh, they used to use lanolin, which is really smelly. It's horrible. But it's not for... A lot of people think that you grease up for insulation, but it's actually just to stop chafing in uncomfortable places. <laughs> yes, I'll leave that to your imagination. But yeah, so that's all you can wear. And the reason for that is because the first ever swimmer who did it, that was what he wore. So that's the rules. <laughs> that's what we all do now. So, yeah. There's one person's ruined it for everybody. Um, one person back in 1875. Damn him. Yeah. Um, and it's <laughs> 21 miles or something ridiculous. Yeah. So as the crow flies, it's 21 miles. A lot of people think that you swim further than that, but the tide carries you. So you don't just swim straight across unless you're extremely quick. I'm not extremely quick. Um, so the tide carries you on kind of like an S shape because um, it turns and then it turns back again. And, and then as you near France, the tide turns again. So you get sort of pulled up the coast a bit. So it looks a bit like an S. Um, and some people say, oh, yeah, I swam 46 miles across the channel. But actually, they swam 21 miles across the channel. But they were carried by the current for some of it, which added on distance. But they didn't actually swim that extra distance, if that makes sense. So it's 21 miles, yeah. And how long does that take? So the quickest is around seven hours, just under seven hours. And the the longest crossing is 28 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'd be happy with somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Gosh, okay. Yeah. That is a real, God, that's epic. And why do you love it? Because I can literally think of nothing more painful than doing anything for between <laughs> seven and 28 hours. Because, you know. I get bored quickly and easily. Um, What is it about swimming and just doing the same thing for that amount of time that you clearly love? For me, it's partly it's because it's there to be done. Um, When I first started open water swimming, I struggled some 300 meters. And within a year, I'd done my first 10K swim. And then the following year, I did my first 14K swim. And then I did a channel relay. And then I swam Windermere. Uh, it's, I guess part of it's pushing boundaries for me. I've always been quite challenge driven. So if something presents itself to me as a challenge, I'm like, Oh, that sounds fun. I'm going to do that. Um, but with channel swimming, there's just something when I'm in the water, I just feel completely like it's the right place for me to be. Um, I feel very free. I'm, it sounds again it sounds really cheesy but I'm very much sort of at one with nature so you know you're in a different environment that you're not supposed to be in like a guest and you get to see all these incredible things like seals and and porpoises and I've got friends that on the channel they had whales swimming alongside them for some of it and I've got a friend who's on a swimming holiday in Turkey at the moment he's just been swimming with turtles and you don't get to do that doing normal stuff one of the lakes I swim at there's a family of kingfishers and I love seeing them because they're so difficult to see when you're, especially when you're swimming and you're moving 
and you're literally your face is out the water for a split second just to see the sort of dart of blue dashing into the water is a real privilege and people don't get to see that so um yeah it's just the freedom and the challenge and I find it quite therapeutic as well just having that time where all you're focusing on is the swimming and what you can spot and things like that I've got friends that count as they swim because that's their way of getting around but for me it's very much a joy I feel I just love it I just absolutely love it and I think in a world where we're bombarded with phones and children and stuff and television and social media it's actually really important to get back to that and to just stop sometimes I mean even though you're swimming for seven hours um just to stop would be um make such a difference to mental health and to mindset and to all those things yeah I mean you can't take your phone with you into a swim well you I mean you can have a waterproof dry bag that you're towing behind you but it's not like you can sort of get your phone out and check your Facebook mid-swim. Although I'm sure there are some people that would try if they could. <laughs> but it's nice just to know that it's just you in the water and whatever goal you've got, or, it, it, you know, you don't even need a training goal. I know some people just swim because they just want to swim. and They don't necessarily have anything planned for this particular year, but they might for two years' time. So they just, they're just swimming for the joy of swimming. And um, I think training as hard as I do... I don't often get those little joyful swims anymore. So that's one thing I'm really looking forward to after my swim is just having just a really silly, fun swim where I take my camera with me and just muck about in the water and just take pictures and selfies and be daft and hand, do handstands on the beach and stuff like that. It'll just be fun. Oh, it will be fun. Um, and now the weather's warming up, we can all start to do it too. So you're swimming the channel this summer. I'm very excited about it, but you were meant to be doing it last August. Yeah. So last Christmas, you were diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer that spread your liver. And as many of us know who have experienced cancer, not had it, but experienced it, it really sucks. So that's, that, that trashed your training, um, but it didn't stop you and you're still swimming the channel. Um, but I just wanted to check on how you're doing. So, yeah, so I was diagnosed just before Christmas 2017. Um, nobody was expecting me to have cancer. Everyone was, oh, you know, you're, you're 39, you're fit, you're healthy, you're about to swim the channel, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you swim for 40 kilometres a week, you know, you've probably got a back injury that's, you know, I had some stomach pains essentially, that's radiating around to the front of your stomach causing this pain or it's IBS because of your age and all of this sort of stuff. And um, we went down various lines of investigation and then I had to have surgery, investigative surgery that they had to stop after about three minutes because there was just a complete blockage in my bowel and he couldn't actually investigate any further so uh came out of the surgery having had they he brought another guy in to check um who wanted to rush me straight into emergency surgery there and then the other surgeon said no let's let's just give her christmas and we can deal with it after christmas um you know there's time it's okay and i just knew when I saw the surgeon crying in my, in my room after the operation, that there was something wrong. Um, so I had my surgery 29th of December, so just before New Year. So I was in hospital for about two weeks. And they had to take out just over half my colon, which is your large intestine, sort of on the left-hand side was where my tumour was, which I called Bob, which partly because it was big. <laughs> Um, I won't take what the other B stands for, but it's not a particularly nice word. So it was big, old or something. And when I had a CT scan just after my diagnosis, uh, they also discovered that there were a couple of spots in my liver 
So it obviously spread, which meant I was literally straight in as a stage four diagnosis, but very curable. I've always been treated as a curable case, which with advanced bowel cancer is quite a rarity, especially with the kind of mutation I have, which is not a good one to have. But I'm still, touch wood, currently being treated and as, as totally and utterly curable. Um, but we just have to monitor. I get monitored very carefully. So have my surgery, the anaesthetist, the physio, the bowel surgeon, they all dealt with me afterwards. They said, okay, so your life is going to be basically on hold for three months. Um, you know, you won't be able to get out of bed. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. And I turned around and I just sort of looked at them as to say, I'm swimming the channel in August. You clearly don't know me very well. And they said, well, you're not going to be swimming the channel this August. And I was like, okay. I looked at the scar on my stomach. I was like, yeah, I'll give you that. Maybe not this year. <laughs> so I had to delay my swim. So they were expecting me to be bedridden for three months. And I was back in the pool within five weeks. I think my first swim was just over a kilometre. And I remember coming home being told off by my husband. He was like, you should have just done about 200 metres. I said, well, I did. And I felt okay. So I did another two. And I felt okay. So I carried on. He was like, you're mad. I then had a minor operation to put a, a portacath, which is basically, it's like a disc that they insert under your skin with a, a tube that then is tunneled into your heart through the vein. And what that means is they can put the chemo in through the port. And then as they take the needle out when they're finished, it, still, it seals itself completely, which meant I could still swim. Because a lot of the other tubes for chemotherapy that they have to put in are basically external. The end of it is external, like a, something called a pick line and a Hickman line. They have a little bit sort of sticking out of your skin, which you can never get wet. So you can't shower very easily. You can't bath very easily. You have to like completely cover them. So swimming would be an absolute no-no. And my oncologist realized that if, if he stopped me from swimming by, by giving me one of those, then my mental health would just plummet. So he put a port in, had six months worth of chemo through that, um so it was I had 12 cycles every it was every two weeks so I had three days of chemotherapy one of the days was in hospital then two days at home with like a little take-home bottle of chemo and then 10 days off and then and then back in for blood tests and then back in the next day for my sort of next cycle so that was my life for sort of six months just round in circles hospital appointments a week of feeling absolutely rubbish, a week of feeling fairly normal and training and doing whatever I wanted to do, then a week of feeling rubbish. And it just went on like that. So the chemo I was on, they were trying to basically shrink the tumours on my liver, which was very successful. And then in the September, I had liver surgery to remove the tumour that hadn't completely disappeared. One totally disappeared. They don't know where it is or where it was. But the other one, they they were able to move through something called ablation, which meant I didn't have to have another major operation at that time. Liver surgery is pretty brutal. And the, the location of where my tumour was meant that they were basically going to have to do this massive operation to remove the remainder of a quite a now small tumour, which was right on the end of my liver, near my side, but they were still going to have to do a huge incision. So... Uh, my oncologist found a surgeon that could do this ablation process, which basically involves a needle going in to the tumour under like a scanner. So they can see exactly where it is. And it essentially burns the liver, the, the hole, a hole around the tumour and just destroys it, essentially. It's really clever. 
So that was on the Tuesday and I was swimming by the Sunday. There's a pattern emerging here. Um, all throughout my chemo, I swam once I was well enough. So the first week I felt a bit rubbish, so I didn't really swim, but I was swimming sort of three hours, three hour swims multiple times a week, my, my good week. Um, I did a five hour swim in the sea three weeks after finishing all my chemo. So it was back in August. And so, yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I've been able to keep doing big swims. Not obviously the big one that I wanted to do last year, but I wouldn't have been well enough to, to do it last year. I wouldn't have been strong enough, I don't think. So, yeah, so all was going well. Head back in the training game and after my ablation, no further treatment necessary at that time, just the scan cycle every sort of 10-ish weeks because of, because of uh, the spread they have to keep a little bit of a closer eye on me than, than they would normally. So I have scans a little bit more regularly than most people would. So I uh, had a PET scan, uh, sorry, a scan in January, which showed a recurrence, which I then had to have another major operation in March, which was a bit rubbish because it meant that I had four weeks out of the water at quite a crucial time, just as all the lakes were starting to open up and the channel training season was opening and things. So I'm a little bit behind where I should be, but I did four hours in the sea on Saturday at 13 degrees and another three hours on Sunday with lots and lots of jellyfish. There were jellyfish everywhere and they're massive. So we've met because you are the lead for the wonderful North London Military Choir, who are my favourites and I love them so much. Um, <laughs> and I knew you and I still know you, but I knew you going through this Um and fair play to you, you're one tough cookie because you didn't let it stop you. Is it because you had the swimming and that space to have the mindset to, you know, sort out the the things you're thinking about? And also, so you've got your, so your blog post is the singing swimmer. Is that right? You have a- yeah, singing swimmer on WordPress. Yeah, yeah. So you combine, you know, your two loves, which are singing and swimming. And do you think it's the combination of those two things that sort of helped you just keep on going? I think so. I mean, the swimming community are very much like the choir community, hugely supportive with everything that I've done and everything that I've been through, sort of my singing and my swimming, the two places I can go to where everyone just treats me without fail as Jodie. I'm sure people do feel quite sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for myself, but they never show that they're feeling sorry. There's no, there's, you never get like a pitying Look, and quite often when you go up to someone and you introduce yourself to someone and they say, oh, are you okay? Oh, you're, you know, what's, your hair's very short. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've had cancer. I've got, you know, my, hair, my hair's growing back. And they sort of put the head on one side and you get a pitying look. And they don't mean to do it in a bad way, but people don't know what to say when someone tells you that they've got cancer. Why would you know what to say? It's not what you would expect to hear. It's not a normal conversation to be having. Oh, yeah, you've got cancer. So how's that then? You know, you, that's not how it's a shock to people. And people don't always know how to react. And everyone has been affected in some way by cancer. I think the statistics show at the moment that one in two people will either have had cancer or be affected by cancer by the time they're sort of 50, 60 years old, which is dreadful. I mean, those statistics are absolutely horrendous. And it's a very emotive subject. It's it's a very difficult subject because we all know someone who has had cancer or we've had cancer ourselves. 
and it is a very difficult subject, but I can go to choir on a Monday and they just treat me like me. I see my friends down the lake or down the beach and they're like, hi, Jodie, you're all right. How long are you doing today? What silly distance are you doing today? Uh, it's just normal, you know, I, and I don't have to um, explain anything. And I think because we're doing an activity where you can't necessarily have a conversation at the same time, you can't sing and talk at the same time, you can't swim and talk at the same time, you just get on with it and it takes your mind off it. Whereas if you're, you know, at a friend's house, it's going to come up in conversation and it, it's going to get awkward potentially for either you or the person you're having a coffee with. No one likes seeing their friend ill um, or suffering. It's, it's dreadful. I mean, lots of my friends now, I've obviously got lots of cancer friends as well. And we don't like to see each other suffering. It's, it's just horrible. But when you're swimming or singing, you can't have that conversation. You just have to get on with what you're doing. You're, you know, you're learning a new song or you're trying to do 10 lakes, 10 loops around the lake before they shut, you know, chuck you out and shut up for the evening. So there isn't that time to have these big conversations about horrible topics. So I think it's, it's just, they're both very supportive and especially with the choir that, you know, it's a support network and it doesn't matter if it, you need happy support or if you're sad and need support or you just have had a bit of a rubbish day or your husband's away or, you know, the kids are real or, or something, or it's just, everything is just getting top of you. You just turn up to choir and there's tea, there's coffee, there's cake, there's singing. And that whole experience is just so special. And I think the sisterhood, especially that the choirs create is just, it's so hugely supportive as you, as you know, and you make such amazing friends as well. It's just, it's wonderful. It is. And they are wonderful. And thank God for the choirs. That's all I can say, because, um, there are times where people need that support and it's that unspoken place uh, that it's that unspoken support that you just get by just being there and joining in. And it's so really very important. And there are, there's a massive community of military spouses um, and I'm a big fan of all of them, as you know, are there any in particular that you'd like to um, say a special thank you to or have inspired you or empowered you with your training or your singing? Oh, everyone at North London, either current, past, present, you know, everyone who I've come, everyone really who I've come into contact with through the choirs has just been phenomenal. I mean, we turned up at an event the other day. We were singing with another choir who we'd never, I think we'd never sung with them before. And it was just like being at rehearsal, but in our dresses. We just all got on with it. It was absolutely phenomenal. And it was just really good fun. I, I think there's something very special about the network that we're in that gives opportunities like that, where you can just rock up. You all know the same song. You all know how it's sung. You just get on and sing together and, and have coffee together and, and just have fun together. And these people can be complete strangers, but you never know in your next posting, you might then meet these people again and you've immediately got a brand new set of friends just through singing. So, I mean, I, I, <laughs> there are so many people I could mention. <laughs> obviously you being one of them um but there there is just so many people I can mention because I think everyone's just been incredible for me that's because you're our pal Jodie and you're fab and we don't feel so well I don't feel sorry for you I just feel a bit miffed for you um but then you tell me that you're swimming for seven hours and I think yeah she's probably gonna she'll be all right, <laughs> she'll be all right. 
Is there anything that you want to raise awareness of around cancer, especially bowel cancer? Um, or is there anything that you want to say to people um, that you feel is really important? Yeah, so with bowel cancer, there's a, there's a, a misconception with bowel cancer especially that it's an, sort of an old person's disease. Someone who maybe hasn't lived the healthiest lifestyle, um, someone who's much older, you know, maybe they eat lots of bacon, which apparently is the food of the devil. So meat or drinks of alcohol and things like that and have like a sedentary life. Now, I was 39. I didn't have any of the stereotypical symptoms of bowel cancer. My mum's best friend died of bowel cancer 20 years previously. And I knew what to look out for. And I've always looked out for those things for that exact reason. So I think it's it's very easy to assume that when a young woman presents with some symptoms that could be bowel cancer, but could be lots of other things, they just, bowel cancer is just ruled out. I was very lucky that my GP was able to get me in for certain tests. I know other people who are my age who have not been so fortunate and have had to fight for a diagnosis for, you know, two, maybe three years. And as a result, their cancers progressed so quickly and so far that they're in a very precarious position as a result. And that makes me really sad because it's not an old person's disease. There are, I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like two and a half, 3,000 people under the age of 50 are diagnosed with bowel cancer each year. That's a huge number. You know, it, it's... It's the second most diagnosed cancer in the UK. I think lung cancer just, you know, is, is the biggest in terms of um, mortality. Bowel cancer comes a very close second. And I think late diagnosis is so, has such a part to play in that, that people aren't being diagnosed early enough, especially younger people. I think with older people, now they just reduce the testing time to 50. So you might get a kit in the post when you're like 50, 55, something like that. And you used to be 60. So there's a huge age range that's being missed out. So a friend of mine has been putting together a collage at the moment of, of people under age 50 with bowel cancer. And it's all advanced, advanced bowel cancer like myself. So stages three and four where there's sort of spread, essentially. And the, the people that she's got on there are vegetarians, vegans, marathon runners, channel swimming people to be you know all fit active healthy people and yet they've all got bowel cancer which is supposed to be reserved for older people who have not particularly good lifestyles it's clearly not the case so I think for me I would really like people just to be aware of the symptoms so things like a change in your bowel habit I'm going to say the word poo I'm not ashamed. Poo is not taboo. We talk about poo a lot in the bowel cancer world. Changes in, in your poo that last more than three weeks, for example. If there's blood in your poo, if you have unexplained stomach pains that are, you know, they don't seem to be going away, uh, sudden weight loss, anything like that, extreme fatigue is, is quite often um, something that, especially with younger people, we just put it down to the fact that you know, we might have young kids or we've got a really busy work schedule or we've got lots of business trips. You know, we're running around here, there, everywhere as young people. We're very busy. And often fatigue gets ignored. We just put it down to having a busy lifestyle. So, you know, if you've got one or two or more of those things, just check it out. It's worth knowing. And you don't have to be someone who has 
you know, got a really bad lifestyle to get bowel cancer. It's, it's not about lifestyle. It's about genetics and, and DNA. And that's, that's why I've got bowel cancer because my cells misbehaved essentially. It's nothing I put into my body or did to my body. My cells basically worked against me and my immune system couldn't fight against it. And I ended up with a 15 centimeter tumor in my bowel. So it, it's not about being, a, you know, you shouldn't be embarrassed if you've got any of those things, especially when it comes to poop, people get very, very embarrassed. Or they're like, oh, I've had a baby. I, you know, I might have piles from, from giving birth, which is very normal. I mean, everyone who's given birth will generally get things like that happening. But um, just get it checked out because it doesn't, it doesn't mean you've got bowel cancer, but it's best to know because then you don't end up like me. And I didn't actually have any symptoms. I literally had, I was getting sort of increasingly bad stomach, stomach aches. And it, I'd had them for about three or four weeks. That was it. So I clearly have a very, very, very high pain threshold, apparently, because I should have been in agony, apparently. But yeah, I wasn't. But that was literally my only symptom. So if you're not sure, just get it checked. Which is really important because we have to look after ourselves. Because health is so important and health, when it's not right, ruins um, so many things. So there's no point in working like a dog and achieving all the goals in business or in life or in your career. Because actually, you just get knocked for six if you're not looking after yourself. Yeah. Once your health is gone, it's really difficult to get back. So, um, yeah, go to a doctor. I mean, we're paying tax. We might as well rock up to the doctor <laughs> and make the most of it. And then another thing that's really close to your heart is Blessma, which is the charity that you are swimming the channel for. Why did you pick Blessma? And why are they so important to you? Okay, so my link with Blesma came through, initially through the choir. We were asked to sing at a Blesma um, fundraiser in the centre of London, where basically we were stood in a huge square, surrounded by office buildings. And then there were some, some representatives from Blesma, but also some of their beneficiaries there as well. And we were just talking to them and... Um, sort of in between our singing sets. And I was just so blown away by how humble and they were just pretty cool people. They were so, I mean, they'd, this one particular man, you know, he had one leg. He'd lost his leg, fighting for his country. And he was sat in the middle of a square in London on a very cold, windy day on top of a massive motorcycle that I think they'd used for, a, a ride across America or something like that with uh, all these, you know, cool bits of music playing. And he was just so, he just made us laugh so much. He was so funny. And I was just like, these guys are amazing. And these women are just amazing. The things that they're doing and the things that they're achieving in the face of real adversity, just blew, it, it just blew my mind. It was just amazing. So, and I've been, I've been, obviously I'd already started, this was back in, I think 2017. I'd already started thinking about who I was going to have as a, as a charity to fundraise for. And I just couldn't think of anybody. And I came over that day thinking, no, that's it. This is who I'm fundraising for. It's just phenomenal. And I think there is no better charity I think that I could be supporting with my swim because they face adversity every day. Yes, I'm facing adversity at the moment, but hopefully I won't always be but they have to do it every day and just get on with it. And I just, I think they're amazing. 
Gosh, it really does put stuff into perspective, doesn't it? Um, Which brings me to the question. If you were speaking to another military spouse who wanted to take on a challenge or a project um, or just get started with something like that, what would you say to them? I think something specific. um, Get in touch with me and I'll help you out and just enjoy it and don't sort of don't get frightened by the initial cold because I think that's where a lot of people that take up open water swimming they they get in the water and they get this sudden sort of cold water shock you know do it gradually don't just sort of jump and think well I'm going to swim the same distance I do in the pool because it doesn't work like that in open water if, if you're not used to the cold then you know you have to do it safely so just very very gradually and just build it up if you're wanting to take on a big challenge I would say find something that you love especially when it comes to endurance sports, if you don't love what you're doing, it's very boring. And it's, it, it's, it can be quite mind-numbingly boring and soul-destroying if you're not enjoying it because you have to commit a lot of time to it. You have to be comfortable with your own company because when you're swimming, you can't be talking to somebody else because you would drown. <laughs> if, you were, if you were swimming along in the sea and talking to someone, you know, unless you were st- you know, being still and treading water, you would have problems. So you need to be very at ease with your own company. And that in itself is, can be quite hard for some people, especially if they've got a lot of stuff going on and stress going on. It can sort of go one of two ways. It can either make you not want to do the activity that you're doing, or it can be very, like it's me, sort of rehabilitation. It's, it's very therapeutic for me, but it can go the opposite way. So you need to find something you're going to enjoy doing if you're going to be doing something that's, especially if it's endurance based, you need to love it because it's a lot of time on your own and it's early mornings, it's late evenings, it's weekends, it's, you know, it's quite time consuming. So you have to enjoy it. Otherwise you won't finish it. And weirdly enough, in business is exactly the same. That's one of the best tips of business, especially if you're starting one, is that you need to love what you're doing because no amount of money will make the difference if you hate waking up and doing it in the morning. Um, So it works both ways. Um, But that sort of brings us to the end of it, Jodie. And it's such a shame because I love talking to you and I've been desperate to talk to you for months. So I'm really happy that you're here. But... I know that you will be swimming the channel in August. So I want you to share your link to your sponsorship page so we can all get behind you. I've got a, a Just Giving account, which is justgiving.com forward slash Jodie's Channel Swim 2019. That's J-O-D-Y-S Channel Swim 2019. Fab. And I will, of course, share a link so that everybody gets to come along and sponsor you. And a few of us will be watching from a distance on the safety of land. Jodie, I have loved talking to you and it's sad that it's the end. You have, you know that, you know that song that we sing, that it's something along the lines of that you, you being in my life has made it a little bit better. And that's how I feel about you. And it is incredibly cheesy, but it is completely true. You are a fab person just for being Jodie without all the nonsense that you've had to go through in the last few years. And also you'd been fab without swimming the channel so thank you for being my lovely pal and thank you for all your support and for coming to talk to me so honestly I think you're ace cool thank you can I also say thank you to design Jessica because there is a rather fabulous designer by the name of Jessica who designed my swimming hats with a jellyfish logo because I'm I'm renowned for being stung by jellyfish everywhere I go the jellyfish flock to me I've got friends that swim the channel with me as support so and they haven't been stung once and I've been stung 15 times so I thought it'd be quite a good logo to have. And yeah, Jess designed that and it's it's brilliant. Lots of people are wearing the hats and they say they're fabulous. So thank you very much to you. 
It is ace. It's still bright pink, yeah. It is bright pink. <laughs> I have one for you, which I'm going to be putting in the post. Oh, good. I will not be swinging the channel. Don't make me do that. I was speaking to the Forces Wives Challenge and they signed me up to do Everest. So I'm very aware of... That is very, very cool. No, no, I can't. I can't do any of these things. I think they <laughs> estimate me. Yeah, well then, Jodie, I cannot wait to see you swimming the channel and getting to France. It's going to be ace. There just aren't really enough words for me to tell you how great I think Jodie is and I'm really proud to call her my friend. Obviously, this was a really tough interview for us to both get through, but I am so glad I got to share it. So please do keep in mind what she said about those cancer symptoms. Since recording, Jodie's channel swim window did open and on the 27th of September, she achieved her dream and swam the channel in 18 hours, 14 minutes and 30 seconds. Her original target for Blessma was £3,000 and she has now raised over ten and a half grand for the military charity. You can still sponsor her and help raise money for Blessma, so do head over to support her. I will of course be back next week with another inspiring episode. This time it is with Wendy from Not Just A Wife and it is another good one, so make sure you're subscribed so you get to hear it first. I will see you then.